0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Tremendous trifles by G.K. Chesterton. Chapter 33 The prehistoric railway station. A railway station is an admirable place although Ruskin did not think so. He did not think so because he himself was even more modern than the railway station. He did not think so because he was himself feverish, irritable, and snorting like an engine. He could not value the ancient silence of the railway station. In a railway station, he said, you are in a hurry and therefore miserable. But you need not be either, unless you are as modern as Ruskin. A true philosopher does not think of coming just in time for his train, except as a bet or a joke. The only way of catching a train I have ever discovered is to be late for the one before. Do this, and you will find in a railway station much of the quietude and consolation of a cathedral. It has many of the characteristics of a great ecclesiastical building. It has vast arches, void spaces, colored lights, and, above all, it has recurrence or ritual. It is dedicated to the celebration of water and fire, the two prime elements of all human ceremonial. Lastly, a station resembles the old religions rather than the new religions in this point, that people go there. In connection with this, it should also be remembered that all popular places, all sites, actually used by the people, tend to retain the best routine of antiquity, very much more than any localities or machines used by any privileged class. Things are not altered so quickly or completely by common people as they are by fashionable people. Ruskin could have found more memories of the Middle Ages in the Underground Railway than in the grand hotels outside the stations. The great palaces of pleasure which the rich build in London all have brazen and vulgar names. Their names are either snobbish, like the Hotel Cecil, or, worse still, cosmopolitan, like the Hotel Metropole. But when I go in a third-class carriage, from the nearest Circle Station to Battersea, to the nearest Circle Station to the Daily News, the names of the stations are one long litany of solemn and saintly memories. Leaving Victoria, I come to a park belonging especially to St. James the Apostle. Thence I go to Westminster Bridge, whose very name alludes to the Awful Abbey. Charing Cross holds up the symbol of Christendom. The next station is called the Temple, and Blackfriars remembers the medieval dream of a brotherhood. If you wish to find the past preserved, follow the million feet of the crowd. At the worst, the uneducated only wear down old things by sheer walking. But the educated kick them down out of sheer culture. I feel all this profoundly as I wander about the empty railway station where I have no business of any kind. I have extracted a vast number of chocolates from automatic machines. I have obtained cigarettes, toffee, scent, and other things that I dislike by the same machinery. I have weighed myself with sublime results, and this sense not only of the healthiness of popular things but of their essential antiquity and permanence, is still in possession of my mind. I wander up to the bookstall, and my faith survives even in the wild spectacle of modern literature and journalism. Even in the crudest and most clamorous aspects of the newspaper world, I still prefer the popular to the proud and fastidious. If I had to choose between taking in the Daily Mail and taking in the Times, the dilemma reminds one of a nightmare, I should certainly cry out with the whole of my being for the Daily Mail. Even mere bigness preached in a frivolous way is not so irritating as mere meanness preached in a big and solemn way. People buy the Daily Mail, but they do not believe in it. They do believe in the times, and apparently they do not buy it. But the more the output of paper upon modern world is actually studied, the more it will be found to be in all its essentials ancient and human like the name of charing cross linger for two or three hours at a station bookstall as i am doing and you will find that it gradually takes on the grandeur and historic elusiveness of the vatican or bodleian library the novelty is all superficial the tradition is all interior and profound the daily mail has new editions but never a new idea. Everything in a newspaper that is not the old human love of altar or fatherland is the old human love of gossip. Modern writers have often made game of the old chronicles because they chiefly record accidents and prodigies, a church struck by lightning, or a calf with six legs. They do not seem to realize that this old barbaric history is the same as new democratic journalism it is not that the savage chronicle has disappeared it is merely that the savage chronicle now appears every morning as i moved thus mildly and vaguely in front of the bookstall my eye caught a sudden and scarlet title that for the moment staggered me on the outside of a book i saw written in large letters get on or get out the title of the book recalled to me with a sudden revolt and reaction all that does seem unquestionably new and nasty. It reminded me that there was in the world of today that utterly idiotic thing, a worship of success, a thing that only means surpassing anybody in anything, a thing that may mean being the most successful person in running away from a battle, a thing that may mean being the most successfully sleepy of the whole row of sleeping men. When I saw those words, the silence and sanctity of the railway station were for the moment shadowed. Here, I thought, there is at any rate something anarchic and violent and vile. This title, at any rate, means the most disgusting individualism of the individualistic world. In the fury of my bitterness and passion I actually bought the book, thereby ensuring that my enemy would get some of my money. I opened it, prepared to find some brutality, some blasphemy, which would really be an exception to the general silence and sanctity of the railway station. I was prepared to find something in the book that was as infamous as its title. I was disappointed. There was nothing at all corresponding to the furious decisiveness of the remarks on the cover. After reading it carefully I could not discover whether I was really to get on or get out but i had a vague feeling that i should prefer to get out a considerable part of the book particularly toward the end was concerned with the detailed description of the life of napoleon bonaparte undoubtedly napoleon got on he also got out but i could not discover in any way how the details of his life given here were supposed to help a person aiming at success One anecdote described how Napoleon always wiped his pen on his knee breeches. I suppose the moral is, always wipe your pen on your knee breeches, and you will win the Battle of Wagram. Another story told that he let loose a gazelle among the ladies of his court. Clearly the brutal practical influence is, loose a gazelle among the ladies of your acquaintance, and you will be emperor of the French. Get on with the gazelle or get out. The book entirely reconciled me to the soft twilight of the station. Then I suddenly saw that there was a symbolic division which might be paralleled from biology. Brave men are vertebrates. They have their softness on the surface, and their toughness in the middle. But these modern cowards are all crustaceans. Their hardness is all on the cover, and their softness is inside. But the softness is there everything in this twilight temple is soft end of chapter 33